0: Hey, guys, my name is Murray. I'm one of the pastors here at the Centre Dural, and I have the pleasure of kind of redoing my sermon this afternoon. Um, For those of you who may have already noticed, sermon didn't work great. In fact, the entire service had a few, well, more than a few tech issues on Sunday. Uh, I think we had no sound uh, for most of it. I think maybe I was a bit like a pixelated robot. Uh, it really turns out it wasn't conducive to being able to even hear or properly watch the service. So uh, I, figured, I figured, you know, in all good faith that it would be helpful to just sort of re-encapsulate that sermon uh, from Sunday and continue to go through our series of pruning the branches as we look at pruning relationships. Uh, So let me quickly pray for us and then we'll get into it. God, I thank you for the opportunity to redo, (laughs) to record um, this sermon this afternoon. And Lord, I just pray for anyone watching or listening uh, that it can be a blessing. To them that as we explore the ideas of pruning relationships um, can explore the modeling that you Jesus uh, provided for us in how to have healthy relationships and look to biblical truths around what you want from us when it comes to the way that we engage with others and love our neighbor love our other that lord you would be speaking to us through the power of your holy spirit god just work through me now uh, I just pray yeah that we would be able to see in these next few moments to receive what you have to say. And anything that isn't of you that I say would just fall to the ground. So just be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I was saying, uh, we are looking at pruning relationships this afternoon. And I wanted to actually start by reading a really beautiful poem by the American poet Robert Frost. Uh, it's a poem called Mending Wall." It was written about or over a hundred years ago now, 1914. Uh, But I think it really sets the tone for what I want to explore today with relationships. Uh, So it goes like this. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen ground swell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. The work of hunters is another thing. I've come after them and made repair where they have left not one stone on a stone. But they would have the rabbit out of hiding to please the yelping dogs. The gaps, I mean, no one has seen them made or heard them made. But at spring mending time, we find them there. I let my neighbour know beyond the hill and on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. We keep the wall between us as we go to each the boulders that have fallen to each. And some are loaves and some so nearly balls. We have to use a spell to make them balance. Stay where you are until our backs are turned. We wear our fingers rough with handling them. Ah, just another kind of outdoor game, one on a side. It comes to little more there where it is we do not need the wall. He's all pine and I am apple orchard. My apple trees will never get across and eat the cones under his pine, I tell him. He only says, good fences make good neighbors. Spring is the mischief in me, and I wonder if I could put a notion in his head. Why do they make good neighbors? Isn't it where there are cows, but here there are no cows. Before I built a wall, I'd like to know what I was walling in or walling out and to whom I was like to give offence. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. I could say elves to him, but it's not elves exactly, and I'd rather he said it for himself. I see him there, bringing a stone grasped firmly by the top in each hand, like an old stone, savage armed. He moves in darkness, as it seems to me not of woods only and the shade of trees. He will not go behind his father's saying, and he likes having thought of it so well, he says it again. Good fences make good neighbours. So Frost's pole mending wall is often quoted for the neighbors own sentiment that good fences make good neighbors which is ironic because it's actually the opposite of what frost is trying to say um he's kind of kind rather posing a question against that sentiment which is do good fences really make good neighbors and now obviously this is a poem so it's been used over the years to explore the themes of literal neighbors immigration build the wall uh change and modernity the coexistence of different beliefs or even the boundaries that we have in our personal relationships uh, which is the lens through which I kind of wanted to explore the use of this poem today boundaries it's a tricky word, isn't it? And, and this is what we're going to be exploring today as we talk about pruning relationships. And relationships in some of our lives um, are probably not so healthy. And I think that there's probably some, um, and probably the minority, uh, that God may actually want us to completely cut off certain relationship uh a relationship that's unhelpful unhealthy and non-conducive to personal growth and spiritual growth that we want to be experiencing and even spiritual health um but i want to focus more on pruning from the side of shaping and and i maybe want to explore pruning more the way you would prune a topiary bush, not to sever something off completely, uh, but to continue to shape and define clear boundaries and ultimately to result in something which is healthy and God-honoring and, as God says himself, when he creates boundaries, very good. Because that's how God feels about boundaries. Um, We see in the opening pages of the Bible, how God ultimately created the heavens and the earth, something that was very good (laughs) in God's own words. But what made it very good? Well, first, we're introduced to this dark, swarming, chaotic world with no order, no boundaries. um, And God starts to separate these elements to create Order. He separates light from dark on the first day. He creates earth from sky on the second. He creates land from water on the third. And he's ordering through boundaries. See, if we don't create boundaries in our lives, it's it's going to be chaotic, disorderly, and not very good. Because whether it's the creation of the universe or the curation of a relationship with an old friend, boundaries create order. And we know this. We know uh, that we want a healthy life-work balance. We know that when we have kids that they need healthy boundaries to thrive. We know even if we're building a literal fence, you know, we want to know the official boundary line so we're not stealing land from our neighbor or not giving them (laughs) land, maybe even worse. But when we get to our relationships, whether it's romantic, professional, family, friends, we suddenly forget how important boundaries are and that boundaries in relationships also create order and we wonder why our relationships may feel chaotic disordered not very good when we are ignoring the need for boundaries which is actually unfair to both parties Uh, and jesus himself believe it or not ultimately points to these same boundaries set out in genesis when he speaks about relationships in matthew 19. he says haven't you read he replied that at the beginning the creator god himself (laughs) made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, I mean, Jesus is speaking about divorce here specifically, but he actually offers some really helpful insight for relationships because we know as children become adults, they need more space, boundaries, change in different seasons of life a man will leave his mother and father they were united with their mother and father in one way as a you know sort of family and be united instead now with his wife or vice versa with her husband therefore this idea is that what god has joined together let no one not even an overbearing mother-in-law separate And this is why Paul writes in Ephesians, I'm reading from the Amplified translation here, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them. See, both of these are boundaries either too close or too far away, but bring them up tenderly with loving kindness in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Because if you keep a child trapped in the same strict relational boundaries their whole life, they'll become exasperated and resentful in the translated words of Paul. And this is ultimately really important to remember when we're looking at boundaries, that boundaries can and usually should adjust over time. Relational boundaries We should be thinking more of as a rope not a stone wall Um, they change over time and we need to fight the urge to live up to old expectations old boundaries that have been put in place because as two people grow as two people change through different seasons those boundaries are going to move and look different Um, whether it's a friend from a previous season of school uni work an old church maybe even again i'm not necessarily advocating for us to cut off and sever these relationships but maybe a prune is in order to have a healthy ordered clearly defined topiary bush uh, which could maybe be our wider relational network and i personally am an extrovert so you know i can be a bit guilty of spreading myself way too thin relationally and many friends can end up driving me (laughs) into the ground in this attempt to fulfill an expectation that i put in myself on myself ultimately i can actually be guilty of letting down people when I can't meet their expectations that I have set, that I've given them. And likewise, an introvert, if they're not willing to adjust boundaries, can end up resenting the other for making them feel overwhelmed. Uh, When really what you maybe should have done is said, hey, my life is just a bit hectic at the moment. Can I contact you in a few weeks once things settle down? Because if you push and push and push and push for something you aren't. (laughs) and then resent the other person for it. That's unfair on them. (laughs) It's about saying, hey, this is me. This is what I'm capable of doing right now. And this is sort of the point, actually, that the British anthropologist Robert Dunbar, who famously stated that human beings are only capable of having roughly 150 meaningful Contacts or relationships uh, was saying. Now, while there's sort of been extensive research to suggest that this exact number maybe doesn't exactly hold true for everyone, any research which has sort of moved forward to debunk this hypothesis still admits that everyone has this upper limit of of, of a few people, you know, that they can have meaningful relationships with. Now, what happens over time is these relationships change as seasons change and you may not be in each other's circles as much as you no longer work together um, as you no longer are attending the same sporting you know team that you were in before as you mature your mutual interest might change and ultimately you develop new relationships which start to require time and energy and resources but these relational boundaries are not just some new idea that Robert Dunbar, you know, sort of uh, idealised in the 90s. They're actually not dissimilar to something that Jesus modelled while he spent his time on earth. And he placed in some very clear boundaries. And I want to kind of show you what that looked like for him. You see, we see multiple times throughout the gospels that Jesus withdraws to the wilderness to pray Luke 5:16 says Jesus frequently withdrew to the wilderness to pray Are you creating space in your life for your relationship with God Ultimately this is the most important relationship in our lives and if we're not prioritizing that if we're not shaping pruning creating space To be with god relationally well all of our other relationships are going to flow out of that it's why jesus tells us love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself it's because the second commandment actually flows out of that first one if you're not doing the first one right you're not going to be able to do the second well but then we also see that jesus didn't just have a relationship with God, and then everyone else. Let me show you what I mean. We see that he also had a very close three, Peter, James, and John. And this is really interesting because we think of the 12 disciples, these 12 very close friends and students really of Jesus, but we don't consider that in some really important moments in Jesus' ministry, whether it's his transfiguration on top of a mountain where Moses and Elijah suddenly appear, whether it's the healing of the synagogue leader's daughter, whether it's when Jesus is praying in his last night in the Garden of Gethsemane, that Peter, James, and John are the only ones present or closer in the context of the Garden of Gethsemane than the other disciples. And this is really important to know that ultimately jesus did relationships perfectly and it's not about playing favorites it's about being intentional about who are those few people that you are investing in super deeply to give them the space to not only encourage but also maybe rebuke in love that's really important part of doing christian relationship well and christian community well and ultimately We see in the book of Acts, interestingly enough, that Peter, James and John are actually the only three of the 12 disciples that are mentioned by name. So we see that by Jesus's intentional investment in these three, that there was fruit that came out of that. I suppose what I want to ask us today is, do you have a close circle of two or three friends who you can share anything with? Maybe those three people are a kind of Timothy, you know, a a person who you are mentoring as Paul mentored him, a Barnabas who might be sort of a peer who you can be walking alongside at the same pace. A lot of sort of academic scholars and and Christian thinkers who look at discipleship actually suggest that this peer relationship is the most important of the three types. then ultimately, are you mentoring someone are you being are you following with someone as a peer but also who is mentoring you who is your poor and I think that this is so important for us to think about because ultimately if we're not being intentional about what relationships we're investing even more deeply in then we're just spreading ourselves out thin and I think it's really important for us to be making sure that we are good stewards of the time and energy and resources that God has given us. Who's somebody in your life right now that God might be putting on your heart who you could either mentor, who you could be mentored by, or who maybe is a peer, who you wanna walk alongside more intentionally. And then we see, obviously, despite Jesus having that extra close relationship with Peter, James, and John, that he also had the 12, The 12 disciples that we know about so clearly in Mark 3, 7, it says, So Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. There's these moments where he's creating space to be with these 12. And this is seen time and time again throughout the Gospels later in Mark 3, verses 14 to 15. It says, Then Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. See, he couldn't do that with everybody. Despite him being God as a human, as a man, he had finite resources. So he chose these 12 so he could be intentional about investing in them and about them sending forth the good news of Jesus. And I suppose my question to you with that idea of a 12 is, are you in a small group? Are you in a group of people who are going to notice when you're struggling? Are you going to be in a group of people? And are you in a small group where people are encouraging one another? Proverbs famously says in 2717, iron sharpens iron. And now this relationship of iron sharpening iron isn't always going to be fun. By the very nature of iron sharpening iron, it's actually nicking bits of iron off each other, bits of metal. That's how you make metal sharp. You nick small parts off. Sometimes having small bits nicked off, you can hurt a bit and feel uncomfortable and not be the funnest thing. But ultimately, it's going to lead to us being sharper. It's going to lead to us being more like Christ. Because I think that we can all agree that none of us are perfectly like Jesus. So to be a bit more like Jesus, maybe there's some little bits that need to be nicked off us. But that's not going to happen unless we've got that community of a small group of the 12 of continuing to meet together intentionally investing in each other. And then we also see that Jesus had a a bigger group of people in the 72. In Luke 10 verse one, Luke writes, after this, Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Are you serving in a ministry? If you don't know the people in your church community well enough, maybe a really great start would be to start serving in a ministry. And ultimately we see that being in a bigger group, in that case 72, I think it will be okay if it's a bit smaller or a bit bigger, who knows? But this idea that a a truly fruitful ministry can't happen with just you, that it's about being in a larger group. And that 72 for me really represents then going out and serving in that ministry and being really powerful and effective. And it doesn't necessarily have to be within the four walls of the center or whatever church you're a part of. It can be outside of these walls. The church does not stop with these four walls. The church is supposed to, in the sort of vision that we have at the end of the Bible, be flowing out like a river from the throne of Christ. And then ultimately, there's that final larger circle, the crowd, the people that Jesus preaches to and heals and ultimately really speaks life into. And I suppose my question for you is, who is the bigger crowd that you are speaking life into jesus still made time to share the good news with those who were outside the walls of the church those who were outside of the congregation those who had been outside of god's story are you making that space in your life to have relationships with non-christians and people who maybe have fallen away aren't as close to jesus as Maybe God would hope that they are, and helping to bring God's kingdom into their lives. But as I was saying, all of these relationships are not set in stone. And I think it's really important as we look at this idea that boundaries are rope and not stone walls, that we look at a really core example of Jesus actually not just setting boundaries, but having flexible boundaries with one person in particular, his own mum, Mary. We see in John 2, 3 to 7, that Jesus and his disciples and Mary are in a wedding in Cana. And what happened is at this wedding, the wine had run out, which in Middle Eastern culture uh, in you know ancient times would have been really, really embarrassing. I'd argue probably still embarrassing for Australians today if the wine runs out too early at a wedding. But let's read what happens here in John 2, 3 to 7. John writes, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother, Mary, said to Jesus, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour, my time to reveal myself as... Christ, the Messiah, God, has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. See, she doesn't force him, but she's pushing that boundary. She's going, hey, I'm still your mum. Hey, can we sort of push this boundary a little bit in this relationship? Can you help me here? Can you help these people? Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. See, in this moment, Jesus is sort of being subservient. He's honoring his mother and allowing that relationship to push in a little bit and to serve. But later, we see that this isn't always the case of their relational dynamic with Mary and Jesus. In Matthew 12, 46 to 50, it reads, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother, Mary, and some of his brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. See, this is really, really important to understand because Jesus isn't saying, Don't honor your mother and father anymore. I mean, he is not disregarding the fifth commandment from the Old Testament. He's coming to fulfill the Old Testament, not abolish it. He says very clearly in Matthew 19, honor your mother and father and love your neighbor as yourself. But he balances this teaching with a pretty radical statement. And it's one which can be pretty confusing when we read it at first. He says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And this is why it's so important to read scripture in context, because Jesus isn't saying literally, hey, leave your family for me. Like he literally just a few verses earlier was discouraging divorce. So what is he actually saying? He's saying make room for me because boundaries make room for god what do i mean by that well emily my wife and george my son are perfect now apparently according to scripture that they're actually not perfect but they are perfect in my biased opinion i love my wife and my son in my eyes they are perfect but my biased love makes it very easy, if I'm not careful, for me to put them on a pedestal. And if I'm not careful, this pedestal can very quickly become an altar, and that altar very quickly becomes heretical. You know, if I'm feeling maybe unloved or lonely in a season, I can just look to my goddess of a wife to fill me with love and make me feel better, rather than relying on God to be my foundation of self-worth. If I am maybe feeling a bit bereft of joy or purpose, I can look at my little smiling demigod of the sun and remember that everything I do is a sacrifice for him. When ultimately, everything I do should be a sacrifice for God. And because God calls me to be a good dad, I should be loving him. These ideas that my, my wife and my son are going to fill me up completely and not just heretical, they set all three of us up for failure. Neither are Jesus. That's an unfair burden and way too much pressure to put on them. And subsequently, I'll end up disappointed when that altar crumbles. We may even start to want to lash out or resent these very same loved ones who actually never signed up for the impossible role of God in our lives. Jesus' advice? Leave houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and wife and children and fields even our homes (laughs) that we love so much in sydney to play the role they're supposed to in our lives and allow jesus to assume his rightful role of god in our life so ultimately i want to leave you with three big thoughts today that healthy boundaries in relationships create order Just like in the very beginning, God the Father created boundaries and set those boundaries in place to create something that was beautiful and very good. Healthy boundaries can adjust and should adjust in most relational dynamics over time. And ultimately, healthy relational dynamics make room for God in our lives. So what relationship does God want you to redefine today? Is there a relationship in your life where the topiary needs to maybe grow out a little bit to achieve the shape and form that God wants for you? Do you need to invest in a relationship a bit more today? Is there maybe a relationship in your life that needs to be pruned back a bit? That it's maybe taking too much room for something else that needs to be growing, taking too much resources, too much of your time, your effort, your energy, and to actually be in a healthy dynamic, you need to set a new boundary or is there a relationship that needs to be maybe completely cut off today let me pray for us god i thank you that you mirrored and modeled healthy relationships for us through jesus god as we go out into this week may we be led by the power and wisdom of your spirit to invest to set boundaries to make more space for you and Lord, to cut off relationships in our lives which are no longer honouring and healthy for us or you. Lord, give us that strength today. We pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed, church.